Amen. Week one, we talked about becoming seekers. Week two, we talked about being faithful in small things. Week three, last week, we talked about a message called deciding what to wear. And we dove into what Goliath wore and what David refused what to wear. He said, I'm not going to wear this bronze armor. He said, I'm going to wear what I'm familiar with. And what he was familiar with was just the fact that he was a shepherd boy out in the fields and he was learning skills and being faithful in the small things. And all he depended on was not a big suit of armor and a big javelin or a big sword. All David needed was what he was familiar with. It was a shepherd's staff and a sling and some pebbles and he took down the giant. And as I was praying about where to go from here, God gave me um, just one small phrase, and if you're taking notes, that phrase, the title of tonight's message is this, come prepared. Look at your neighbor and say, come prepared. Come prepared. David has been proven as a seeker of God's own heart. He's been anointed as king, but he had not stepped into the place of being a king. One thing we've been talking about over the past few weeks is anointing does not mean automatic. And some of us know that we're anointed to do something, but we feel like if we become anointed to do something, that must mean we automatically walk into it. But what we're finding is that David was anointed to be king, but he was still having to be proven faithful as a shepherd in an insignificant job, in a place where no one noticed him, a place where he was almost forgotten. He was anointed as king, but he was still having to work as a shepherd. And as he was being a shepherd, he was faithful in small things. He was faithful in taking care of the sheep. He was faithful in his abilities. And we learned that as a shepherd, um, he had to protect his sheep from uh, intruders so he would he learned how to fight lions and bears and the scripture actually says when the lions and bears would come to him he would grab them by the jaw with his bare hand and beat them with a stick until they died David was a bad dude he, and, he, and he learned it and not only did he learn how to fight off lions and tigers and bears oh my but he, he developed his skills as a harp player in fact, he was the best musician in the land, and because he was so faithful in playing the heart, uh, in the harp, he was able to be summoned when King Saul needed a musician. We notice uh, over the story that King Saul, in the very beginning, before they sought David, he was very disobedient to God. He continued in his disobedience, and when David shows up, Saul has got this tormenting spirit, and the only way it can be sued is by music. So he says, guys, I want you to go find the best harp musician player in the land. And they were like, yeah, we know this dude in the fields is Jesse's son. Uh, or it's, it's a dude being a shepherd, and his, and his name's David. He said, bring him here. So David comes, and every time he plays that harp, the tormenting spirit is soothed in, in King Saul. And King Saul's like, man, I'm going to keep this dude around. This dude's awesome. So because he had that favor, he was able to get close to the king. And the Philistines are fighting the Israelites. King Saul is the leader of Israel. He's the first king of Israel. They start to get to the battle lines, and this big dude comes out, and he starts taunting the Israelites. If you know the dude's name, shout it out. Goliath. Goliath comes up, he starts taunting him, and he says, y'all ain't got nothing. If you, I, I, this dude is, is like nine feet tall. He, he, he's got a 125-pound suit of armor. Dude is massive. I mean, he, he's like WWF. Like he, uh, if, for those of you that remember when it was F and not E, he, y'all know what I'm talking about? Goliath was like, like a, a champion. He had proven to win many, many battles. And he says, if y'all can find one person to beat me, we'll become your slaves. And if you beat us, we'll become yours. 
As soon as he said that, King Saul, who was also a very big man in stature, the scripture tells us that King Saul was a head, uh, a head size taller than everyone. He was scared, and they were hiding, and they were afraid that they were going to be beaten. And then and one day, um, Jesse uh, says, David, you've got some brothers at the front line, and they're hungry. Can you bring them some cheese and some bread? Someone shout amen to cheese and bread. And David's, <laughs> and David's like, Okay, and David knows his brothers don't like him. He doesn't have favor with his brothers, but that didn't matter. David said, I'm going to be faithful. So he was faithful. He got someone to take care of the sheep, and he comes up to the front line. When he gets to the front line, I'm catching y'all up, he hears the taunts of Goliath. And Goliath is saying that he's going to win and he's better, and David's like, who the heck is this guy that he would defy the armies of Israel? Who the heck is this dude saying that he is stronger than God's people. He's like, why are y'all hiding? Why are y'all scared? I'll take them on. And King Saul and his brothers are like, nah, man, you, 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 you little, you ain't, you're just a shepherd boy. He's like, let me tell you what about me as a shepherd boy. I wrestle lions and bears, dog. I got this. And they were like, all right. So we come to this point where David comes up to Goliath and it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 40, if you look to the screens, it says he picked up five smooth stones, everyone say five stones, <clears throat> from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. And then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. <clears throat> Goliath walked out toward David with a shield bearer ahead of him and sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David that you come at me with a stick? He cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here, I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David replied, you come to me with a sword and spear and a javelin, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. I love David. It's like, oh, you, you're going to die. You, you, you're going to be done. The Lord will conquer you. I will kill you and cut off your head. Listen to the boldness of David. All he's got is a shepherd's staff and a sling, and he's saying, I'm going to cut your head off. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm, I'm going to make a threat. I want to make sure I got the tools to back it up. You know, if I say I, I, I'm going to take you down, I want to make sure I can fight. If I can't fight, I'm not going to threaten you because I don't want to look like an idiot and get beaten. The only thing I got to my advantage when it comes to fighting is size. I ain't got no sky. I don't know how to throw a punch. But don't cross me, though. I'll cut your head off. Today the Lord will conquer you. I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Everyone assembled here will know the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. So as Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran out to meet him. Reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling, and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, Goliath stumbled, fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. David ran over, he pulled Goliath's sword from the sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. I love that. David didn't have a plan to cut Goliath's head off. All he said was, the Lord says, we're going to conquer you. Your head's coming off today, and he's going to win. And all I've got is a staff, a slingshot, and I just picked up five stones from the stream. Now, last week, 
I posed a question and I told you I was going to talk about it tonight. The question is this. Why did David pick up five stones? Because when I read the story, I'm thinking, well, if David's a man of faith, why, why didn't he just need one? Why did he pick up five? Why, did, why didn't he, you know, well, if David's so faithful, why didn't he know that God was going to take care of it one stone? And there's all kinds of theories. Some think that maybe David had five because he had some doubt. That there, but there is no indication of doubt. If you read the story over, the whole time David's like, I got you, I'm going to cut your head off. I, I ain't got a sword, but your head's coming off. And you're, all your people, they're going to die, and they're going to be eaten by birds and animals. There's no doubt in him. He's very bold. Now, some think maybe he brought five stones because he was prepared to fight some people. Because I imagine if this nine-foot dude giant gets knocked down by a stone, I would probably be thinking people are going to come at me. Because David doesn't say necessarily your people are going to run. He just says they're all going to die. Maybe he thought he had to fight them. I don't know. Some think that maybe uh, we see some scriptures in 2 Samuel, which we'll come to later in this series. But it talks about that Goliath had four brothers, and they were all giants. So some people think that maybe the five stones were because there was fighting Goliath, and then there was preparing to take down the other four giants. Um, some even, like, you know, like the super trendy, uh, super spiritual preachers, they try to give the five stones like an acronym or something, and they're like, oh, the five stones, they stand for like faith, obedience, service, and prayer. Like, there's, there's, all, kind, there's all kind of ways that people preach it. But the fact of the matter is, there's no scripture that tells us why there are five stones. What we do know is that David had a tremendous faith in God. That he said, all I'm going to rely on is what I'm used to. What I'm used to is I'm by myself, I've got a staff, I've got a sling, and I worship. I worship my God. I take care of sheep. I play my heart. And the whole time that David is addressing Goliath, over and over we hear it. God will. This is God's battle. God will get the glory. This is God's. Never once in that whole passage is David saying, I'm going to do this. He is simply saying, this is the Lord's battle, and he's going to conquer you, and the way he's going to conquer you is that I'll cut your head off. It's always God will, God will, God will get the glory, this is God's. I believe the reason David picked up five stones is simply one thing. He came prepared. Because there's so many times where God asks you to do something in faith. Maybe it's moving forward into a new job or, or maybe it's moving forward in a relationship or maybe it's addressing a problem in a friendship. Maybe it's blessing someone and you feel like you don't have the means to bless, but God says bless so you feel like you have to do it. Like there, There's so many things that God says and a lot of times we don't know what step two is going to be or what direction number two is going to be. For instance, God says go to the light in Savannah, 8511 Waters Avenue a year and a half ago. I had no idea that a year and a half later God was going to say you're going to leave this 500 person seating sanctuary and go to a 70 person uh, storefront and pooler. I didn't know that. All I knew was God said go then. And there's so many times where it's like that. He says here's step one and I want you to do this. And there's so many times that we don't know step two but we don't come prepared for whatever may come. And then when a, a wild card gets thrown or, or, or um, uh, something happens that wasn't expected we back up. 
Just like the Israelites, they're ready to fight. All of a sudden, nine-foot dude comes up, and they start running back. Because even though they were moving forward in the battle, they had no idea that a giant was about to come up against them. So they were scared. They were not prepared. But David, when he says, I'm going to face this giant because of one thing, that giant is, is speaking lies on behalf of the enemy. He says, I'm going to pick up five stones and I'm going to go. David didn't know that it was going to take one, two, three, four, five. All he knew is that all he had was a, a, a shepherd's staff, a slingshot, and he needed some rocks, and he went with it. And he said, I'm going to come prepare. He knew that there was a lie being said, and he was so in love with God that he was going to confront it. And maybe um, he knew he didn't have the best aims so he picked up five. I don't know. Maybe he thought he was going to fight more people. I don't know. All he did know was that I am not allowing the enemy to speak. So he says, I'm going to prepare for battle. And he knew that that battle was not his all he was doing was carrying out an assignment. He knew it was God's battle. God was going to win. God was going to get the glory. And he said, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I want to give my God justice, glory, truth. This dude is speaking lies. He's telling me my God ain't real. He's telling me my God's weak. And he said, I'm not having it and I'm going for it. And I'm here to tell you tonight with this idea of come prepared. The battles you are facing has less to do with you than you think. The battles you're facing has less to do with you than you think. You are simply a son or daughter of the living God. He is the king of kings and you are royalty. Scripture says that we are royalty. We're sons and daughters of a king. That is what our position is. <clears throat> and we come to these battles in life that are coming against the truth of who our God is. And there's so many times when we think the battle's so much about us that we try to fight the battle in our own way. That coworker comes at you at work and they say something that you don't like. So the way you want to fight is you respond to make sure that you get yours. You have that parent that says that demeaning thing so you want to get even and say something back. Or maybe you're in this place where something comes against you and the, you think the way i got to fight is I've got to do something myself to make sure that they know who I am. But the fact of the matter is, just like David knew, David said, this is not my battle. This, this, this battle is the Lord's. So if this battle is the Lord's, I'm not going to fight with what I have. I'm going to fight with what I know. And if I know that my God is with me and my God is for me and my God is not against me, I'm not going to fight by my means. I'm just going to lean into him. How you fight indicates how much you're aware that it's God's and not yours. Because we'll come up with all these ideas. Well, well how, how do I do this? How do I respond to this mountain in front of me? How do I get over this wall? How do I deal with this thing? You have to realize it's not yours to deal with. It's yours to be obedient to how he wants to deal with it. It's not in your hands to, to, to figure out how to fight the battle. The strategy is God's. And he says, the way I'm going to carry out my strategy is give it to you. So the first time when a battle comes up, when, when something comes up in our life that makes us question things, that makes us back up, the first thing we do is we start to strategize. 
well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to win this? How am I going to get one up? How am I going to make my name clear? How am I? How am I? How am I? Not once did David sit there and say, how am I going to fight Goliath? He simply said, you're speaking against my God, and I'm not having it. There's so many times that we try to take a fight that's not ours, and when we start to realize it's God's, we'll do less strategizing and do the best strategizing we can do, which is simply say, God, how would you have it? God, have your way. Because the fact of the matter is, sometimes God's way is he says, I want you to bless the person that just cheated you. I want you to bless the person that just took something away. I want you to bless someone that just kicked your knees out from under you. And when you hear it, the first thing you do is say, ain't no way because they don't deserve it. You know why? Because they don't deserve it in your mind is you trying to fight. When someone does something to you, God says, love your enemy. God says, bless your enemy. So when something happens, it's not how do I get even, it's what does God want to do. And if God simply says, bless your enemy, you realize it's no longer about your fight. It's the Lord's battle. What does it mean that it's the Lord's battle? The point of life is to give him glory. So if something comes against you or someone comes against you, the best way to fight it is how do I give him glory? When something goes wrong, how do I give him glory? When I'm cheated, How do I give him glory? How do I give God glory is the best strategy you can have. That's what David was obsessed with. He says, you're speaking against my God. I'm not going to have it. This is the Lord's battle, and I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to walk forward with five stones in a slingshot, and he's going to get glory. And when he gets glory, the whole land's going to know that there is a God. All he was obsessed with, all he cared about, was that people would stop believing that, that there was no God. And that there is one. That's all he cared about. And I I, I pray for a day that the church, whether it's Relentless or the whole church of Savannah, would, would stop doing these meaningless, like, we need to bind Satan in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Satan's already defeated. Stop binding him. Why do we focus on the enemy that's already finished? Like, look, 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 let me beat a dead man. The battle is not fighting the devil. The battle is understanding that all our purpose is here is to make sure people know that there is a God. And there is one God, and it's not up for question. And the biggest fault of the church in America is that we're scared to offend people with the truth that might offend their truth. But you know what the fact is? God says that Jesus is a rock of offense. And there are certain times where you have to care more about offending people with truth than bowing down and saying, well, if that's how you want to worship, that's your life. You're an idiot if you're saying that to people. You're taking glory away from God and saying, well, if you want to worship that God, I mean, that's just your choice. That's your lifestyle. That's your journey. You are declaring death over their journey because you're not willing to offend with truth. Because the battle has has become this whole wrong concept of, well, let's just love everyone. True love is truth. This is the Lord's battle. This is all about how does my God get glory? And we need to take every opportunity to give him glory. But the reason we're not giving him glory is because we're not coming prepared. Giving God glory is getting to the place where when you react to things, people start saying How did you go about that? What did you do? I don't understand that concept. And that's when this door opens up to say, well, 
Let me tell you about the man who told me how to win this battle. Because it's not mine. See, the battle is simply, is God, is God getting glory or not? There is no other battle. If God gets glory, he'll promote you and get you out of your funk. We, 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 wrote, we, we, um, we, um, we sang a song, um, Defender. You are the defender of my heart. Well, if you truly believe that God is your defender, then why are you still trying to defend yourself? If you really believe that God is for you, then why are you living life as if what's against you is bigger than what is for you? God gives us all these ways. He gives us um, ways to manage our finances. He gives us ways to manage our relationships. He gives us ways to pour into people. Yet for some reason we keep falling short and wondering why we can't move forward. Because the battle is one thing. Is God getting glory in everything I'm doing? And if he's not, I've got to make a change. I've got to start coming prepared. David said, I'm going to get five stones, and I don't know what's happening next. Sometimes we got to go through a process of getting prepared without knowing what's going to happen next. David came prepared for whatever might have happened. And I think sometimes the reason we're losing this battle of giving God glory is that we're only prepared to fight what we see. But there is so much going on that you can't see. We, we, we see the obvious fight. Well, I've got a relationship problem. I've got a job problem. I've got a financial problem. We see that, so we fight that. But we're only preparing with one stone. We're only preparing, let me throw this stone at the finances, not knowing maybe you need two or three more that will help hit the finances. Or, or, or maybe you have a stone of, of mustard seed faith. But you might need some more stones than just faith. Maybe you always throw a stone of prayer. Well, let me pray about it. Can I, can I be honest with you? Prayer is part of the battle. It's not the end all. Just because you pray God do it does not mean he's going to do it. Sometimes you got to have more stones in your pocket. I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. Is this all right? Okay. In, in Matthew chapter 17, verses 15 through 21, it says this. Lord, have mercy on my son. He's an epileptic and he suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long will I bear with you? Bring him here to me. So Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. That's pretty awesome. The dude was suffering with epilepsy so much that he was falling in fire and water, drowning and burning. And he said, I brought them to your Christian people. Nothing happened. So then the disciples in verse 19 came to Jesus privately. I love that. They were like, we're not going to ask Jesus in front of people. We're just going to do this in private. It said, uh, hey, uh, hey, Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? Don't we ask that question a lot? Like, why, why can I not get order in my house? Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, but my kids are still being rebellious. Jesus, I go to church, and I'm still falling short here. Jesus, why, why can I get one up? Why do I keep going? Why do I keep getting pushed backwards? Verse 20, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there. It'll move. 
Mustard seed faithful move mountains. Nothing's impossible. However, this kind didn't just depend on mustard seed faith. You needed mustard seed faith, and you needed prayer, and you needed fasting. And what the church has done a terrible job of is we teach people how to carry one stone of faith, but we don't teach them how to prepare with the stones of prayer and fasting. We've developed a culture of fight the battle with one stone of come to church. And you come to church and nothing's happening in your life, but you're not carrying the stones of personal devotion. You're not carrying the stones of personal prayer. You're not carrying the stones of fasting. If the only time you fast is when the church does a corporate fast, don't come to me complaining that you're not winning battles. God has given us all these stones to come prepared, but we're not preparing. We're being reactive to situations. Things come against us, and we, oh, I have faith that God's going to come through. And Jesus is saying, well, faith will move mountains, but when demons happen, you need more than faith. When, when you have a demonic influence in your house, you've got to have a little more than faith. Faith can move mountains, but faith is not going to cast out that demon. Faith is not going to, faith alone is not going to break down that, that curse over your house, that, that generational curse to your kids. Faith alone won't do it. You got to accompany it with prayer and fasting. David might need one stone to take down that giant, but he brought five because he didn't know what all he would need. Maybe he needed to hit a head. Maybe he needed to hit the knee. Maybe he needed to hit the feet. He didn't know, but he came prepared. And we have got to stop being reactive to battles because when something happens, we'll say, oh, I got to get in my prayer closet. But you should have already been prepared by praying. When something happens, you'll say, oh, I got to sow, sow an offering into the church. I get so sick of that. I hear it all the time in the Pentecostal Charismatic Church. When something happens, oh, I got I to gotta sow a seed. No, 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 you should have already been sowing a seed. You should have been prepared for this. When financial things come up against your life, you should have already been preparing. We are so reactive. David didn't see the giant, and he was like, oh, shoot, let me get five stones. No, no, I don't, I don't know what that was. He, he, he didn't do that. He, he, before he started going up, he said, one, Two, three, four, five. He prepared, and then he went. You want to fight battles? You, you want to get to the place where we're conquering our giants? Come prepared. We, we're prepared to sing songs, but we don't have prayer life. Maybe we have prayer life, but we're not singing songs. Or maybe we're just singing songs when we come here at church, but when something comes in your personal life, you don't know how to bust out in the hallelujah. David wrote the book of Psalms, all of these songs giving glory to God. It's, the song was in his heart. He was seeking God. He came prepared. Are you coming prepared? Are you coming prepared to fight with all you need? Or are you only relying on those subtle things? Is this good? Is this speaking to you? Y'all are quiet. It's okay, though. Okay. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says this. We're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. And it says we use those weapons to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Listen to that. The weapons of God destroy false arguments. Your battle is against the false argument because your battle is what's taking away glory from God. 
We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. Your battle should not be obsessed with defending yourself. Your battle should be with making sure that nothing hinders people from knowing God. And one of the biggest battles we've got to deal with is if your lifestyle turns people away from Jesus, that's what you've got to fight. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey. The reason David was so good at fighting this giant with a pebble and a sword of the own giant's sheath. Well, he, he was familiar with godly weapons. He didn't look at Goliath and said, I got to fight a nine-foot giant. He looked at Goliath and said, I'm coming against your lies. He said, you're telling these people that nothing can come against you. But I'm going to show these people with a slingshot and stones, God's going to take this giant down. And all the lies that they thought, they're going to know that my God is real. It had nothing to do with a physical fight. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was a giant. It was one focus. You're telling lies. The biggest battles and biggest fights worth fighting have nothing to do with a physical nature. It's what lie is keeping people from knowing God. What lie is keeping you from being truly faithful to God? Well, I've been doing this over and over, Kyle, and I'm not seeing breakthrough. You need to come against that lie more than defending yourself and preparing in other ways. How do you come against the lie? How do you fight the giant? You come prepared with everything that God's given you. Your personal devotion, your prayer life, your, 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 your fasting, your, your, your breakthrough with song. There is so much in the scripture, and I'm not going to do a whole message tonight about all the ways to do it. I encourage you to find that yourself. It's in here. Just read it. But he says, are you coming prepared? David said, I, I'm, I don't know what I need for this one, but I'm going to come prepared. We don't need to be reactive to battles. We need to come prepared. We need to have it in our back pocket so that when it's time to sling a stone, we got the stone, and we're not searching for the stones. Well, Kyle, this thing came against me, and I don't know how to move forward. Well, you haven't been prepared. Because if you had been talking to your God and getting familiar with his voice, you wouldn't be searching what to do. You'd already know what to do. Because it's not about fighting the battle. It's about coming against the lie, and the voice of God will tell you how to do it most effectively. Is this making sense? <laughs> David was familiar. He said, I'm not going to try to protect myself. I'm not going to try to defend myself. God's got me. I'm not going to dance around this. As soon as it's time to fight, I'm running against my Goliath. And I'm taking down the false lies. I'm taking down the strongholds. He came prepared. So in verse 52 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, Then, as soon as Goliath was killed, the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed over the Philistines. Chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, the bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strown all along the road of Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. Why were they along the roads? Because God said, I'm going to put the bodies out and the wild animals are going to feast on them. We're going to take care of this. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took the Philistines' head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his tent. Now that verse made me pause. Because last week we discovered that David didn't need the armor. The only, thing, the only armor he needed was the armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, 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 the helmet of salvation. He, he's, that's all I need. So why did David keep the armor? 
Well, back in those times, it was customary. If you won a battle, you would keep the, the plunder, if you will. You would keep uh, the, the prize of the enemy. You would keep it. It was a custom thing. In 1 Samuel 13, before we got into the scripture, it talks about how there were no blacksmiths in Israel. The Philistines were so scared that, they were going, that, that the Israelites were going to make their own weapons that the outlawed blacksmiths were not allowed. So maybe it was because the armor was rare and they were going to need it. I mean, King Saul could have probably worn some of it. Maybe they could have melted the, the, the bronze and made some new stuff with it. But as I prayed about this, I felt like God gave me something, another reason. And it's all about coming prepared for the battle. Because David didn't need the armor. But maybe what David needed was the reminder of the armor. Because what happens is every time David would come up against a new thing, maybe he looked to his tent and remembered, oh yeah, I took that giant down with a slingshot. I can do this. There's so many times in life where we have one victory and then we come up to the next place in life and it seems like the next battle's bigger and we get scared every time. But we need to do what David did and remember, if God did it here, He's going to come through there. Revelation 12, 11 says it like this. They defeated him by the blood of the lamb and their testimony. They did not love their life so much that they were afraid to die. Sometimes the best way to come prepared for a battle is to make sure that the testimony of what God's done in your life is always at the forefront of your mind. Sometimes you got to remember what God's already done to be prepared to go into the unknown. That, that was kind of what I had to remember when I was going to announce to the church that we were going to move to Pooler because we didn't have $20,000 in the account to do it. And I, I, I knew that God didn't want us to go into that space and it looked like it did, trust me. I didn't know how the money was going to come in. But you know what I did? I didn't start strategizing how can we get the money. I said to myself, well, we paid... 200 bucks a month at the Y, and we didn't have the money to afford 800 a month here. But when we made the move, the increase in tithe gave us more than enough without explanation. And it's still more than enough. So I have to remember if, if God did it then, He's going to do it now. Sometimes the best way to come prepared for struggles in life is when they come because you can't escape struggles. You can't escape war. You can't escape battles. When they come, remember the armor that you got from the last battle. Remember what you've already gained. Remember the, the God of the breakthrough that has always come through for you. Remember the sacrifice he made on that cross so that you would live. If he did it then, he'll do it again. That's how good God is. Sometimes the best way to prepare for a big thing in your life, a big mountain that you're about to face, a big valley that you're about to cross, I'm not scared to go against it because he's already done it once. Think about David. Why was he so bold, bold to face a giant? Because the dude went from shepherding sheep to being in the courts of the king playing a harp. I bet he said to himself, if God can do that, I ain't worried about this cat. Sometimes the best way to prepare is to remember. 
So in verse 55, as Saul watched David go to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? I really don't know, Abner declared. Well, find out who he is, the king told him. Well, as soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. I love that. Can you imagine David with, like, Goliath's head, which is probably as big as his table? You know, and, and David's like, yes. <laughs> David has the head in his hand, and verse 58, tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name's Jesse. We live in Bethlehem. All that victory... And David was still around 18 or 20 years old. He had gone from shepherd to heart player to a, the biggest champion killing the giant that the whole army was scared to face. And even though David proved himself over and over and over and over, it still was not time to replace Saul as king. And remember, Saul was a disobedient, corrupt man. God had already said, I'm sorry, I ever made that new king. So I wonder, what happened over these next 10 to 12 years while David was proving himself and killing Goliath and becoming king? How did David get prepared for what he was going to become? Because remember, what he's going to become is the king that replaces Saul. But you can't just wait for God to put you in that place. You've got to do what? Come so let's look at chapter 18 I don't know about y'all but this is interesting to me after David had finished talking with Saul he met Jonathan not, not Tyree he met Jonathan the king's son and there was an immediate bond between them for Jonathan loved David from that day on Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home so we're coming to a point where David was no longer going back to the fields and being a shepherd. He lived in the palace. He lived in the courts of the king. Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe, giving it to David with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Everything that David never had in a moment, David got. He got it all. He got the sword he never had. He got the tunic. He got, he got all the robes necessary to be in the king's court. Whatever Saul asked David to do, verse 5, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war. This shepherd boy, has, he's, he's been so successful as a young man that he's being made commanders over armies. An appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. So the people... All the military officers who have been serving for years and years and years, they were like, this no experienced shepherd, yeah, make him my commander. Like, do you get that? He was getting promotions he shouldn't have gotten. He was getting favor he never earned. He, all he was doing was being faithful, and he was successful, 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 successful. And when the victorious Israel army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul, and they danced and sang for joy with tambourines and cymbals. Now I want you to paint a picture. David's at the top of his game. He's successful. He's favored. He's becoming famous. He's getting promotions. He's seeking God. King Saul loves him. 
He loved him so much that he wouldn't let him return home to his father. He probably sent a note to Jesse and said, hey man, your son ain't coming home. He's living in the, court, in, in the palace. But look at what the women sang when they came to greet Saul. Verse 7, this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Y'all like that? It's beautiful. <laughs> success, success. Saul loved him. And when the women came out, they sang a song that said, Saul, you got a thousand, but your boy here is doing so much better than you. You think Saul liked that? Side note, every single person in this room, you need to find a spiritual mother or father who is more obsessed with seeing you more successful than them, than seeing them successful. The mark of a true spiritual mother or father is they want you to do better than they could have ever done themselves. Think about Jesus himself. When he left, he said, you will do greater things than I. But the fact of the matter is in this life where you need to have spiritual fathers and mothers who want better for you, there's also going to be people that you serve that don't ever want you to move forward. And your strategy is how do I outdo them? Your strategy is how do I get one up? Your strategy is how can I prove myself? Would you like to know what David did? Look at verse 8. This, Saul, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, in one day, David's never leaving my house. The next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. So what did David do? He played the harp. He was faithful, as he did every day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, trying to kill him. And David escaped twice. Now think about this for a second. For years and months or whatever up to this point, Every time Saul went crazy, he called David. He said, play for me so he could be calm. But the minute David got more praise from him, when David came in to play, the dude tried to kill David. Maybe you're experiencing that at workplace. You have better numbers than your boss, so your boss tries to get you out. You're doing better than your coworkers, so they try to make push you down. And what we do is we strategize. Well, how do I one-up? How do I get favor? How do I? How do I? You know what David did? Saul threw a spear and tried to kill him. But David didn't run. David didn't try to tell people, do y'all know what, do did y'all see what they tried to do to me? No, in verse 12 it says, Saul was afraid of David. He escaped twice, for the Lord was with David. He turned away from Saul. And finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him over commander of a thousand men. David faithfully led his troops. Listen to what's going on. 
Saul tried to kill him, and David still served him. He didn't try to one-up him. He didn't gossip about him. He didn't talk about how he's a bad leader. He served him even more. And because of that, verse 14, David continued to succeed in everything he did. Not because he was great, but one thing, because God was with him. Why was God with him? Because he was not fighting with his own strategy. He was not fighting with his own strength. He fought with one thing, giving my God glory. I'm going to humble myself to this man, and even though he tried to kill me and end me and put me down, I'm going to serve where God has placed me. And if my God has placed me in the courts of a king, I don't care how many times he tries to kill me, I am going to serve. And when Saul recognized it, he got even more afraid of David. See, you try to make people scared that they're going to lose you by threatening to lose you. But Saul got more scared when David submitted more. Not because David started fighting. Not because David started bulking up. Not because David started whispering, y'all, we need, we need to plan a rebellion so we can get against the king. No, he served more and he backed down more and he decreased for increase. And Saul got more scared. And all of Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops in the battle. Up until this point, David was a proven warrior. He was a seeker after God's own heart. And he was serving the king. But according to this scripture, he became even more known for something different. Not for being a great warrior, but for being a great leader of the troops. How did David learn how to be a great leader when all he had experience with was sheep? He learned how to serve under one. He was humble to where he was and God taught him more and more and more because before David could become a king, he had to learn to lead because he could fight. He could sing, he could play the harp, he could lead worship. But he didn't know how to lead quite yet. And the way he gained the skill that he would need to be a king is he submitted. He said, okay, I'll serve. King Saul had no idea what he had just done. Saul sent him away to lead a thousand people to get him away because he was scared not knowing that by giving him a thousand, David would acquire the skill to become a king. If God is your defender, no matter where you're at in life, he will use everything that is coming against you to work for your good. That does not mean God planned tragedy for your good. It means if you will obey him and fight the battle of making sure he gets glory and he gets fame, He's going to make sure you're being molded to accomplish your destiny. And there's so many of us that never walk forward because we're not embracing the season of submission in our lives. Because the season you're in, that where everything is against you, you're getting prepared.
prepared. You're learning the abilities. You're learning the skills so that when you walk into your new promotion, you walk into your calling, you walk into your anointing, you don't have to learn the skill now that you're there. You've already acquired it through a life of submission and humility because all you cared about will God get glory. David cared so much about God that he said, I'm not even going to try to kill this man back. I'm not going to throw a spear back at him. I'm going to love my enemy and I'm going to serve him. And his fame rose that he was a great, great leader. If you come prepared, every battle will bring more glory to God. And that's how you move forward.